0: Father, we do ask that you would build your kingdom here. But we understand that building your kingdom here begins with us, your people. You need to do a work in our lives. You need to change us from the inside out. You need to awaken within our hearts a deeper affection for Jesus, a greater sense of the mission that you've called us to. You need to help us feel the burden and understand the urgency of the gospel. You need to help us understand that, that you, by your grace, have tasked us with a mission, this delegated mission, that in some way, some amazing way, we now represent the, the person of Jesus Christ through the, the body of Christ as we carry out the mission of Christ in this earth. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to understand what that mission looks like. And Lord, especially as we look into your word this morning in Luke chapter nine, help us to understand not only the kingdom presence, but also the kingdom cost. Help us to embrace the mission you've called us to. May we see the power of that message play out in our lives, and may it spill out into those around us. May we see the, the outflow of that work in the world around us. May you be pleased today. May your Holy Spirit do his work through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're in Luke chapter 9. And uh, if you're uh, using the Pew Bible, it's on page 866. Um, thank you for being here this morning. I know that uh, that many of you uh, braved the, the weather outside and are here maybe wondering, should we have made that trip? Um, and maybe have kind of flirted with the idea of maybe we should leave before it gets worse. So, so thanks, for, thanks for being here this morning. Um, in, your, in your notes, I, I want you to notice on the back of your notes is, um, is kind of a summary of, of the passages as, uh, as we look through Luke chapter 9 and, and all of the, the passages of Scripture that relate to our chapter. Um, I would commend to you this book, this resource. It's called The Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, I think you have that listed on the the, the back of your sheet by Robert Thomas and Stanley Gundry. Basically, what they have done for for us is they have compiled... A chronological narrative of the the gospel stories helped us see how they fit with one another. Help us see what we're missing from Luke and and how the story is kind of picked up and carried along. You can see that after um, verse 17 to verse 18, there there are 10 different events that take place in Matthew and Mark and John that are not captured in Luke. This is one... This is one segment, one account. It's all put together for us. Luke has a design behind the way he has has assembled his information to get to the point that we're going to get to this morning, and that is to look at the kingdom and its cost. Interestingly enough, from Luke chapter 10 to Luke chapter 18, Luke is... Providing a narrative for us that is not captured for us in Matthew, Mark, or John. But then once you get to Luke chapter 18, verse 15, uh, the other gospel writers can, can now join Luke in, in picking up the story and carrying it through to the cross. But what, what, was, what was Luke's point? The point of, of, of Luke's narrative in Luke chapter 9 is to help direct our attention So these two truths, these two themes, the kingdom and its cost Let me show that to you just briefly before we dive into our material this morning. And for the next three weeks, including this morning, we're going to be walking through Luke chapter 9 to help us understand the significance of the kingdom and its cost. Beginning there in Luke chapter 9 verse 2, notice it says, He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. There it is. And then the cost in verse 3. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Then in verse 6, they departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. From verse 7 to verse 9, the focus shifts now from the kingdom of God to the temporal kingdom of Herod. We'll talk about that more next week. Then skipping down to verse 11. There's a, a retreat, a vacation that, uh, that Jesus intends to take with his disciples, but the crowds learn about it, and they, they meet up with him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And notice what Jesus does. The crowds learned where Jesus was, so they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who were who in need of healing. Skip down to verse 21. Jesus now begins to charge his disciples. He's asked this question, "Who, who who do they say that I am? Well, Peter says, you're the Christ of God, meaning you're the Messiah, you're the king. The kingdom is presence because the king is present. Then in verse 21, Jesus says he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. The cost of discipleship. Which he will reiterate again in verse 43. But in verse 23, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, come after me let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The... Cost of discipleship that I will pay on the cross is a cost you as disciples in following me must also pay that's the price that's the cost of discipleship now moving to verse 37 Jesus comes down from the mount transfiguration he will heal this boy who is demon possessed it says all were astonished at his majesty the majesty of God This is a Greek word that begins with the the prefix mega. Mega, as we know, is great or large. And they recognize the largeness, the greatness of God as he heals and casts out the demon in this boy. This word is placed strategically in the text only three times in the New Testament that the writers will address and use this particular word in Second Peter, Peter will will bring this up again in verse, uh, in chapter one, verses sixteen to eighteen, in referring to this specific event. Notice, we did not follow cleverly devised miz when we when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The king was present. His glory was present. The majesty of God was known and witnessed by the disciples. The king was here. Verse 43 Jesus will say again, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The second time, referring to the cost of discipleship. And then in verse 46, the the disciples are still not getting it. (laughs) And they ask, who is the greatest? And they ask, who is the mega among us? (laughs) Of course, they didn't understand that their identity in Christ put them in a place of micros, of being small, not in being large. It was the the kingdom mission that gave them significance, not the inherent significance within themselves. The mission that they had, as we're going to see in our text today, was delegated message and a delegated power that pointed to the source, the source of Jesus Christ, the source of God. All of their significance was resident within the person of Jesus and the identity of him being majestic, being king. And then at the end of our, of our chapter in Luke, chapter 9, 57 to 62, we'll find three examples where there are individuals who are interested in following after Jesus. Notice in 57, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, really? Let, let's, let's make sure you understand what you're signing on to. Verse 58, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you understand the cost? To another, he said in verse 59, follow me. The response was, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. Do you understand the cost? Do you recognize the urgency of the mission that you've been sent on? And then in 61 and 62, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the, for the kingdom of God. God is after a kingdom person, a, a disciple who recognizes and follows after the king, who recognizes the urgency of the mission that had been called to and is willing to, to pay the cost. The cost of discipleship in terms of following after the Savior. Now, we might know and be encouraged by a number of examples that we can think of throughout history of those who have abandoned personal gain at the expense of carrying out mission priorities. Uh, Who are the missionaries? Who are the the figures throughout history who have had the biggest impact in your life because of a commitment to this kind of living, this kind of life? Maybe names like Hudson Taylor would come to your mind, or Adoniram Judson, or Amy Carmichael, or George Mueller. If we had some time to interact over this, there'd be a number of names that that would come to your mind. The kinds of people who, who recognized the urgency of the mission that they were given and were willing to pay the cost. Hudson Taylor, in particular, in the 1800s, he was, he was in a church, and, and as he looked around and, and saw the truth of the Word of God and, and the urgency of the mission that God had, had, had set before the church grew this. Disheartened, discouraged at a church that seemed to be so complacent about the mission that God had sent them on. And in his own heart determined, I'm going to do my part at laying down the cost and giving the gospel, bringing the gospel message to a group of individuals. And this was the beginning for Hudson Taylor of starting the inland China mission. For the rest of his life, he would expend himself for the sake of missions to China. He would lose a couple of wives. He would lose several children. He, he would almost not even make it to China as his boat would be shipwrecked. He, he would lose a, a number of his own friends and co-workers through the Boxer Rebellion. But, but as a result of his sacrifice and commitment to the mission that God had sent him on, there were probably as many as 100 million Chinese believers in China, who can trace their spiritual legacy back to the investment of Hudson Taylor and his team. We think about the cost. We think about the, the legacy of great men and women who have expended it all for the mission. And we wonder, how, how, how can I have, have that kind of impact? How can I set that kind of, of legacy? I want you to understand this morning that it really boils down to, to one thing this summary statement that will shape uh, this message is is essentially, revolves around this truth, and that is, you will never be sent until you're faithful where you are. You will never be sent until you're faithful where you are. That's the legacy of what we find in Luke chapter 9. These disciples who had spent all of their time with Jesus They've been faithful in terms of listening to his message, of following his lead, uh, of seeing Jesus perform these miracles, of, of supporting his ministry with their participation. And now they're being sent. And, and, and in Luke chapter 9, there's this transition that begins to happen where, where Jesus is, is moving them out of the classroom to the streets. They're going to begin to learn discipleship in a whole new way. They're going to begin to, to recognize the participation they have not only in in following after Jesus, but now following his lead, following his example by doing the things that Jesus does. You will never be sent unless you're faithful where you are. Romans 12, verse 1, kind of gives us kind of the the foundation for that truth where where Paul will say, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Be faithful where you are. Be a worshiper where you are. Honor God where he's placed you. And as you do that, then God will begin to, to, to... help you understand the future he has in store. He will then turn you loose and send you out as you are faithful where you are. So let's turn our attention then to Luke chapter 9. We're going to spend our time this morning predominantly in verses 1 and 2, but, but especially in verses 1 to 6. We're going to, we're going to see a couple of things here this morning. Notice with me in verse 1, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. What's the twofold ministry of the disciples? What do you see? What are the the two main purposes, missions, activities that Christ has sent them to do? What do you see? To proclaim and to heal. To preach the gospel and to show the kingdom power. That's our first two points. We're going to look at the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom, I put that first because Luke intentionally helps us to see that what started in Luke chapter 8 as Christ's ministry of proclaiming the good news and preaching the message of the kingdom, now the disciples are going to be delegated. Uh, They're going to have the responsibility to do now the same thing. Of preaching, K. Russo teaching this message, and we'll see in verse six the Yuan Galidzo, this gospel related proclamation ministry that they will have. But what is true about this message? We see a couple of things. First, it was a message from God, because it was a message of the kingdom of God, it had God as the focus and the center of this message. Luke chapter 9 will stress this transition of discipleship where now the disciples are going to begin to to do the work that they see Christ do. And they're, they're not doing it on their own power. They're not doing it with their own words. They're doing it with the words that come from Christ. They have a kingdom message proclaiming the kingdom. This word to proclaim is the word keruso. We saw it's the word for teach or preach. But, but, but it also kind of gets to the, 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 the source of that word. It refers to a herald's formal, authoritative, public announcement of important truth. They were sent to deliver the same message they heard. And so the power of that message that had been able to change the crowd's The the same power of the message that that they were astonished and they marveled at the authority of, of, of Christ in his ability to teach, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, that same power was a power that now the disciples were able to possess not because that power was resident within themselves, but because that power was now delegated from God himself through the message of the same word. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus will say this, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Because Jesus only spoke the words of the Father. And so the power of God the Father came through the message of God the Son, was now delegated to these disciples so that all of the power and authority of this message to transform lives and to change culture would point to the power source, would point to the power of the message coming from God himself. Jesus spoke those words of the Father and now he is, he is commending the same kind of ministry to his disciples. And so, what do they do in verse 6? They departed, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. It was a message that was coming from God, but it was also a message that was full of good news. This word, preaching the gospel, is the word, euangelizo. Galidzo, it's the word for good news. The kingdom is spoken or used, that, that word is used in the book of Luke. Uh, more than 40 times, but, but specifically the kingdom of God is used 32 times throughout the gospel of Luke. And here they are preaching this gospel. Well, what were some of the features of that gospel message? What were the features of the kingdom that made it good news? There are three things, and there are several more, but three I just want to draw your attention to. They're, they're not on the slides but, but just things I want to help you understand the significance of this good news that the disciples were going to offer. First, it was good news because it was a message that God was sovereign. A message that God was sovereign. His kingdom was now present through his king, Jesus. God is sovereign. He is king. He is ruler. He is authority. He's in control. He's in charge. Nothing that happens in this life is outside of the power of God. And that's good news. Do you realize how good that news is? Regardless of, of how much this world, this culture, this country seems to be spinning out of control, it is all governed by a God who is sovereign and who is in control. That's good news for me. I hope that's good news for you. And no matter what crisis comes into your life, Whatever challenge you face, we found from First Peter that, that, that even the, the trials that you face are, are regulated and controlled and, and even designed by God who, who gives you multi-variegated trials that are all handcrafted for you. They're all designed with a specific purpose. They're, they're all intend to lead you closer to Jesus. They all are there to help draw your testimony to be brighter and greater and more glorious, to shine to Christ. That is good news. And however inadequate you feel. You ever feel inadequate? You ever feel like, like God has given you a job that is just too big for you? Even in th- simple things like, like parenting, if you're like, I cannot do this. This is too hard. The sovereignty of God rules over that. Because God delights in filling brokenness and weakness with his sufficiency. God delights in making much of himself through your weakness. That's good news. Because it means that nothing is wasted and, and no assignment that God gives to you is, is too big. Because as we depend upon his power and his authority, as, as we submit ourselves to his plan and design for our lives, as we allow the hard things of life to come into our, our, our lives and we decide that we're going to rejoice when things go badly because we trust in a sovereign God who is over it all, when all of those things are true, God gets the glory. And that's good news. It's good news that God is sovereign. It's good news that, that his, his kingdom presence was, was coming to us through the king, Jesus. Second, it was good news because God was present. <laughs> Do you understand how, how amazing that is? That, that Jesus was actually present in the first century? After all of the rebellion... After all of their hard-heartedness, after, because of their wickedness and idolatry of heart, then being sent into captivity, both by Assyria and also by Babylon, the promises of God did not fail because Christ was present. He was there to confirm that all the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David were going to be fulfilled in Christ. He had not turned his back on them. He was not going to abandon them. He was going to fulfill his purposes through Christ for them. And that was good news. It's good news for us. It's good news that regardless of what you have in your history, what you have in your past, you think God could never overcome that the presence of Christ in offering his Son Jesus is good news. And it's really good news, not just because the king is present, but especially because. He's going to accomplish his plan through our lives, through this ministry of the kingdom. This, this, this ministry of forgiveness of sins, which was, which was kind of the, 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 the foundation for this kingdom message. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Speaking about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, it says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is here. Well, what's the kingdom going to do? Mark chapter one, verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's good news. It's good news that The rebellion and wickedness and sinfulness in your life that that trips you up day after day. Those skeletons that you have in your closet, those things that you don't want to share with anybody because it's going to change their perspective of you. God knows those things, and God is he has a heart that's willing and ready to forgive. As you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's goodness. The kingdom is present through forgiveness of sins. And that was the message that these, these disciples were meant to give. The one thing that we have to offer as messengers of God, as disciples and followers of Christ, is this hope-giving, life-giving message That transforms lives through the power that's not resident within us, not inherent to us, but it points to the source of that message, the source of that power to transform lives, the God of all, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't have to compete for the attention of the world. We don't have to have great programs, great productions, great videos, great entertainment. All we have to offer is the great truth, the great message of the wonder of God's great gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we allow the foundation of our ministry to rest on the hope that no one else can offer through the message that no one else has, then we'll be able to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom work that Jesus intends to accomplish through his people, through his church. When the world encounters you, do they get a glimpse of God? Because they see the message. They hear the message and they see the transformed life of Christ in you. It's not our message. And thus not our rejection. Isn't that? What a blessing. When people reject the message of the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. So keep sharing. You don't have to worry about how they're going to respond. And you don't have to worry about the the, the power and the ability that you think you bring to the table. The apologetic. The the ability to argue good points. To be able to to know all the, the finer ways to discuss your truth. You can rest in the power of God. It's delegated power through the message of God. Second, we have the message of God we also have the power of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom and now the power of the kingdom. Notice. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. This kingdom message was reinforced by kingdom power. The power of God to show on the outside the reality of the truth that was happening on the inside. What he came to offer as primary was now Confirmed by what was secondary, what was outside. The power, of course, was resident in Christ. But notice the power was now a delegated power. It was a power that he gave to his disciples. And because it was a delegated power, it was also um, the responsibility of the disciples to steward that power appropriately. They had specific instructions a specific purpose. It wasn't for for self-serving nature. It wasn't so they could take the show on the road. It wasn't so that they could go from town to town and make some sort of income, kind of like what we find in in Acts chapter 8 where Simon, who is there in Samaria, he asks the the apostles, how do I get this power? What do I have to do to, to purchase this power? No, this is a power that, again, it's delegated to power, so it's meant to show... The power of Christ. It's meant to point to the glory of Christ. It's meant to to demonstrate the, the presence of the kingdom that comes through the message and through the power of God. So why power over disease? Psalm 103 kind of gives us a window into this where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, when God allows diseases to be healed, when he allows good things to happen on the outside, when we get to see the, the kindness and the benevolence of a loving God on the outside, when it's visible to us, then it points to the deeper reality of what God really intends to do through his son. The, 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 the deepest needs are what he really cares about. Those are primary. Those spiritual things which are affect eternity, not just the here and now. But as God allows the, the temporal temporary kinds of things to allow us to, to enjoy some measure of deliverance or some measure of, uh, of being healed in those infirmities. We, we understand the deeper reality that what he is really after is, is healing the disease of sin in our life. He's really after forgiving iniquity. He's really after redeeming our life from the pit. He's really after demonstrating his mercy and his love, steadfast love. And that he is the source of all good things. All good things come from God. He is the giver of all good gifts. And so as we begin to see and enjoy the, and taste of the good things in the here and now, we can be assured of the fact that he is going to, to satisfy the, the deeper things, the, the greater things that we need. So when we as God's people evidence the same kind of heart and affection and kindness to those who who are in need, we're showing that the kindness of God can meet those external, temporal kinds of needs, but, but it should be accompanied by the, 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 greater, the greater message of how God can change the things that really matter, can really change the heart issues, uh, being stepping outside of relationship with God. The, 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 the message of the kingdom was accompanied by power. And so the message of the kingdom even today is accompanied by power. And you say, really? A, a power? What kind of power are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the power that really matters. Not in casting out demons, not in providing some level of healing ministry. That, that happened through delegated authority. As Jesus picked the 12, he, he gave them specific ability to heal diseases and cast out demons. But that's not the power that we've been given. The power that we have is better. The power that we have is, is more important. The power to trans, of a transformed life. The power of a unified body of Christ. The power of faith in a sovereign God. Let me just briefly walk through this. The power of a transformed life. What does that do? We see a hint of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4-10. to Where Paul is recounting how the gospel just came to life in the church of Thessalonica. Notice what he says. He says, We know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. There was power there. Well, what kind of power? In power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You became imitators of us in the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, the power of God carried you when things were hard. The the power of God allowed you to, to... See this hardship and rejoice even though things were really difficult. That's a testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in you to help you to imitate God and to go the distance because that's what the power of God does. He keeps you. For not only, he says in verse 8, has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That's power. That's power. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was transformation. You're not the same. And because you're not the same as you used to be, it gives testimony, unmistakable testimony, to the power of God at work in your life that no one else has. And so this gospel witness flourished in Macedonia and Achaia so that Paul didn't have to say anything because of the testimony and the witness of this power, life-transforming power. There's also power in the unity of the body. Jesus, in praying for us, in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, says this, I do not ask for these only, speaking about his disciples, but also for those who would believe in me through your word, their their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unmistakable evidence of the truthfulness of the gospel is in a unified church, a unified people. Because unity doesn't happen any other way with lots of different backgrounds and lots of different preferences and lots of different opinions lots of different convictions you can't get those kinds of people together except for power and when the world sees a unified church they say the gospel must be true <laughs> there's no other there's no other answer there's no there's no other way the power of the gospel comes through the power of unity. And then the power of faith in the midst of suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, we see this power at work. It says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you go through persecution, when you go through suffering and you rejoice in the midst of it, there was like, there's there's no other explanation. God must be with these people. They have something that I don't have. And in fact, they're right because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon those who are willing to persevere through hard things. The power of God shows up. So you have the power of God, the power of God to help you in these things. And when you embrace, and I should say, submit yourself to the power of God in those things, then your testimony will be dramatic. People will stop and notice, not because they're noticing you, but they're noticing the power within you. They're noticing God's work in your life. And that points to the glory of the kingdom, the glory of God himself. Finally, in verses nine, chapter 9, verses 3 to 6, we see the cost of the kingdom. We saw the message of the kingdom. We saw the power of the kingdom, now the cost. Notice verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Whenever they, whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Are you qualified to be a disciple? Do you have nothing? Take no bag, no staff, no bread, no money, a tunic. Everyone here can be qualified if you have something. But why have this kind of mission purpose? Well, we find maybe a, a, a fuller reason for that spelled out for us in Matthew chapter 10. Bear with me, just a few more moments. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. Jesus will give instructions to his disciples that will be very similar. He says this, These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying Give without paying that's our first reason why would why why would Jesus set up this condition Uh, the condition of of the cost of going without nothing because, because he wants to show the heart of the messenger he wants the heart of the messenger to show this heart that says what we have been given for free we want to give for free and this is really important by the way, especially in first century Israel where everything was about the transaction. Everything was about the, here's what I do so I can get what I want kind of mentality. I, I perform the right rituals, I, I, I give the right sacrifices, I obey the right laws, and then I get the things I really want. Well, The the message of the gospel and the message of the kingdom was Jesus is for free. He's paid the price for you. And so those who are messengers need to illustrate the quality of the gospel by giving for free what they've received for free. No transaction required. It showed the heart of the messenger. But it would also show the heart of the recipient. You see... It goes on. It says in verse 9, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals, or a staff. Why? For the laborer deserves his food. You see, those who are recipients of the message will begin to understand the amazing gift that has been given to them through the message of the gospel and their heart will show a true heart who has received the true gospel will show a desire to support the one who's provided the message. And so in this way they would entrust themselves to not only the hospitality of the culture but also to those who've been beneficiaries of this message who will now want that same message to go out to others. And finally... It shows the heart of God. The heart of the message, the heart of the recipient, and the heart of God. God cares about his message and about his messenger, and God will provide. God promises to provide for his messengers. It shows faith in God's ability to provide. And, we're, and as we step through Luke chapter 9, we're going to see that God is faithful especially when we come to the, the message of the feeding of the 5,000 where there's a, a need for bread and, and the disciples were, were told, don't take any bread, but don't worry about it because, because God's going to provide. In Luke chapter 12, verses 29 to 34, you can just turn the page. Jesus will make this point. He says, do not seek what you, what you are to eat, what you are to drink, or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with treasures in the heavens that do not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you trust in the heart of God to provide? He is faithful. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he would ask this simple question. In Luke twenty-two thirty-five, 35, he says, He says to them, When I sent you out with no money bags or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. Why? Because God is faithful. In the heart of the king, will provide for the subjects of the kingdom. Are we a member of the kingdom? Are you a member of the kingdom? Are you one who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you enjoyed the benefits of the good news of the gospel? Forgiveness of sins and repentance, which isn't just, isn't just a recognition of Of guilt, but a turning from sin and a turning to righteousness. Are you a beneficiary of the kingdom? Have we counted the cost? When I was five years old and, and my dad led me to faith in Christ on my bed on that Sunday morning, the question that he asked me burns in my memory to this day. The question, are you willing to suffer the cost? For faith in Jesus Christ as a five year old. And to that day, I said yes. And that's the measure, that's the truth of a true disciple. You may not know what the future holds. You may not know what you're signing up for, but it doesn't matter because you know the King who will watch over you and you can trust Him. You don't have to trust yourself. You have to believe that you have it all together. You've worked it all out. You know the future. You can trust in a God who knows the end from the beginning and who will provide for your needs. Are you a part of the kingdom work? Are you willing to count the cost and see the power of the message and the power of the kingdom at work in your life and the lives of those around you? You'll never be sent until you're faithful where you are. Oh, God, help us to be faithful. There's so much that needs to change in our lives. There's so many ways we need to look more like Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the good news of this kingdom that preaches repentance and forgiveness of sins. Oh, Lord, we need that. We're grateful that you give that through your son, Jesus. If there's any here this morning, Lord, who don't know you as their Savior. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to ask a question to the person sitting next to them so that they can be introduced to how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for the chance to worship and to learn this morning. Uh, Bring all of us back to our homes in safety. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you.